Hello, everyone. It's May 2nd. It's a new day, and we thank God for a new life, and most importantly, for the one who is seated on the throne and is making all things new. Hopefully, you are knowing the joy of being a new creation. As the Apostle Paul stated, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Are you ready to start out on today's leg of our scripture reading journey? This is the one-year Bible tour, and I have the pleasure of serving as your tour guide. We are in the Old Testament book of Judges today, and in the New Testament gospel according to John. You can follow along with the one-year Bible reading plan, as Bibles are available in most bookstores in that format, or you can read online at theoneyearbibleonline.com, and you can get the daily readings. I will give a companion commentary to point out things you won't want to miss. We also will be making daily stops in the book of Psalms and Proverbs. So let's go. Let's start where we left off in the account of the history of the people of Israel before they had their own king and after they had rejected God as their king and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It's a dark period in the history of Israel. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that all scripture is inspired of God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I'm sure you can see many parallels between the Old Testament history of God's people and history today. However, we have a very unusual character that we're looking at now, Samson. And we're going to watch how Samson defeats the Philistines. Chapter 15, the book of Judges, beginning with verse 1. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go in to my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson, and to do to him as he did to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam, and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, 
Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lahai, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck one thousand men. And Samson said, With a jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with a jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramath-Lehi. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is called Lahai, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name of it was called En-Hakore. It is at Lahai to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. Chapter 16, Samson and Delilah Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you one thousand one hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web, and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. 
and she made them tight with the pin, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart, and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about three thousand men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. And this is the end of our Old Testament reading from the book of Judges. The tragic story of Samson, the twelfth judge of Israel, is a demonstration of repeated unfaithfulness. Samson's history of unfaithfulness is similar to that which was found in the nation of Israel as a whole. God was faithful to his promise to use Samson according to his own purpose. Even though Samson was unfaithful to God's word, God was faithful to preserve Israel for his purpose. 
Samson was God's instrument for bringing judgment on the Philistines and deliverance to his people. Judges chapter 15 verse 11 describes Samson's way of life. He continually retaliated, seeking revenge. Quote, As they did to me, so I have done to them. End quote. Judges chapter 15 verse 11. Samson is surprised to learn that his wife has been given in marriage to his best man by his father-in-law. He continues his cycle of revenge by setting the Philistines' grain fields on fire. He does this by lighting torches, most likely attached to the tails of a pack of jackals, and setting them loose in the fields to set the fields on fire. The jackal resembles the fox. The same Hebrew word, shu'al, is used for both, but foxes do not travel in pairs or packs. Samson's wife told the answer to her husband's riddle in order to avoid the threats from her fellow Philistines to burn down her house. When she betrays her husband's secret to them, in the end they burn her house just the same. Samson again takes revenge by striking them hip and thigh. We don't know precisely the meaning of the idiom, but it would seem, in the least, it left his opponents temporarily immobilized. The Philistines explained to the three thousand men of Judah that they sought retaliation in binding Samson as he did to us. Samson is bound by two new ropes, which he is easily able to sever as the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. Samson takes vengeance and kills a thousand Philistines with the fresh jawbone of a donkey. After accomplishing this feat, he declares his victory with a song and names the location of his conquest the high place of the jawbone. Samson is a picture of the self-life with its insatiable thirst for self-gratification and self-vindication. His battles are entirely in the interest of himself. God mercifully gives him the empowerment of the Spirit, yet he publicly sings songs attributing his victory to himself and the jawbone of a donkey. God used Samson as an instrument to begin a process to bring deliverance to the Israelites from their Philistine oppressors. It was not because Samson was any more worthy an instrument than the fresh jawbone of a donkey that was at hand. Samson's battles with the Philistines were not waged in the interests of the Lord or his covenant people. They were personal feuds with national repercussions. God raised up Samson to be a judge over the people of Israel, but the interests of the people are far from his mind. His life is an example of a person or a people who squander every opportunity to bring glory to God and serve others. When Samson is thirsty, he cries out to the Lord for drink. In his mercy, the Lord provides water out of the rock to refresh his unworthy servant. He names the spring, the spring of him who called. The focus is on his calling upon the Lord rather than the Lord who answered his call. Chapter 16 begins with Samson spending the night with a prostitute. It is a picture of the unfaithfulness of God's people breaking the commandments, not fulfilling their vows, and committing spiritual fornication. Yet God provides mercy so that the gates of hell do not prevail. In this incident, when the Philistines in Gaza seek to kill him, Samson escapes and rips loose the very gates of the city, posts, bars, and all, and carries them on his shoulders to the top of the hill across from Hebron. The gates of a city were not only there for the city's protection. The gates were a place where the town officials met for business and legal transactions. To possess the gates of the enemy was a metaphor indicating the enemy's defeat. Samson falls in love with Delilah. Although it is not specifically stated that she was a Philistine, 
It is very likely, as she is in a close relationship with Philistine leaders. Some scholars believe that she may have been a temple prostitute. The Philistine leaders offer Delilah money if she can gain the secret to his great strength. She complies and seeks to entice Samson to disclose his secret. Samson seeks to fool her by claiming that he will be weakened if bound by seven fresh cords. She binds him with seven cords, and he easily snaps himself free. The ruse continues as Delilah seeks to uncover the secret to Samson's strength. He declares that he would be weakened if the seven locks of his hair were woven and fastened to a loom with a webbed pin. She believes him and fastens his woven hair while he is asleep. When she awakens him with the warning that the Philistines are upon him, Samson easily frees himself from the loom and the web. Delilah complains that she is unloved by Samson because he is withholding his secret from her. He then discloses that his secret is in the Nazarite vow to God, a covenant relationship made while he was yet unborn. The symbol of that was his unshaven hair. With this secret now in her possession, She sells it to the Philistine leaders who bring her the promised sum. While he is asleep, she calls in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. The sad reality is, he did not realize the Lord had left him. Judges chapter 16, verse 20. Void of the Lord's strength, Samson is overpowered by the enemy and his eyes are gouged out. He is taken as a prisoner to grind grain in the prison at Gaza. The final victory of Samson is one that is accomplished when he is blind, bound, and a slave to the Philistines who are ridiculing him and praising their god Dagon for giving them victory over Samson. Samson quietly asks the young servant who is bringing him out for the people's amusement to put his hands against the temple pillars so he can rest. Samson prays to the Lord, Sovereign God, remember me again. He asks for strength to be able to take revenge on the Philistines for the loss of his eyes. He prays that he be allowed to die with the Philistines. God strengthens Samson, and he is able to bring down the temple of Dagon on the Philistines and on himself. Samson destroyed more Philistines when he died than he did during his entire lifetime. People ask why Samson, who was so unfaithful, is listed in the New Testament book of Hebrews as one who demonstrated faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Samson was not a faith hero, although it is God who gave him his promise and his power. The one who brought deliverance for his people was the Lord. Hebrews 11 lists people who believed God to various extents and engaged in the events that would ultimately reveal his purpose that would be fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greater and truer Abel, whose blood was shed. He is the greater Noah, who provided salvation for his family, and like Samson, he defeated the enemy by his death. Hebrews chapter 12 reads, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, that is the examples of people in Hebrews chapter 11, surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May that be our case today. Now let's go to the reading from the New Testament from the Gospel of John. John chapter 2, The Wedding at Cana 
On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out, and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. After this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was at Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all men, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And this concludes today's reading from the New Testament, the Gospel according to John. The Apostle John gives us eight sign events that point to the deity of Christ. Seven are before the resurrection, and one is after. They are introduced in the context of a variety of God-given human needs and experiences. The first sign that John puts before his readers is the miracle at Cana, in which the water is turned into wine. It is a situation of outward joy, a wedding celebration. We do not know the name of the couple. We only know that Jesus, his mother, and his disciples were invited and attended the feast. What is in view here is the human need for relationship. It is not good that man should be alone. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The exemplary human relationship is the covenant relationship of marriage. So, the first sign that John records takes place in the context of a marriage and a marriage feast. This brings to mind the relationship initiated in the Garden of Eden with Adam and his wife in Genesis chapter 2 and described in the last book of the Bible, authored also by John, 
the marriage supper of the Lamb, in Revelation chapter 19. The coming of Christ into the world is ultimately for the purpose of obtaining a bride, the church. John notes that the wedding takes place on the third day. He's referring to the third day after Jesus' encounter with Nathanael, but it brings to mind an expositional constant in the Bible that culminates with Jesus' resurrection on the third day. In the book of Genesis, the earth emerges from its watery grave on the third day, Genesis chapter 1, verse 9 and 11. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, we read, He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, that we may live before Him. This is what redemption has in view, our emerging from the grave to live together with God by the power of resurrection in a covenant relationship with Christ. There is an example of human failure and lack at the wedding. The verdict is, they have no wine. Wine speaks of that which brings joy and pleasure both to God and man. Psalm 104, verse 15, Judges chapter 9, verse 13. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is aware that the situation threatens to cause social embarrassment. She tells Jesus what he must have already known. They have no wine. Jesus responds to his mother, informing him of the lack of wine at the covenant celebration with the words, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. We might think about Jesus' question and ask, What does this event have to do with Jesus? The hour he speaks of is the hour for which he has come. He has not come to do miracles, although miracles he will do. He has not come to save us from social embarrassment. He has come to ransom us from death by shedding his blood. He has come to yield his life as an atonement for sin, as the only Savior for mankind. He has come for the hour of his crucifixion, in which his death, burial, and resurrection would bring the reconciliation of lost sinners back into a covenant relationship with God. There are seven references to his hour in this gospel. John chapter 2 verse 4, John chapter 7 verse 30, chapter 8 verse 20, chapter 12 verse 23, verse 27, and chapter 13 verse 1, and chapter 17 verse 1. There are six stone water jars present. Six represents the number for our humanity. Man was created on the sixth day. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. Six falls short of seven, the number and word that speaks of perfect sufficiency. The human being was a vessel made by God for his purpose. Through sin, he falls short of God's perfection. The condition of the vessel after the fall is one that is one of stone. The heart of man in itself is unable to respond to the will of God, in Ezekiel 36.26, and he is empty of that which brings pleasure to God. Jesus does not call Mary by name, nor does he call her mother, which would infer his natural relationship with her. Instead, he addresses her saying, Woman. It was the Creator speaking to his creation the Redeemer speaking to one who needed to be redeemed. His obedience was to be to his heavenly Father. What he was about to do was not going to be done merely as a personal favor to his mother or to help the wedding host save face. It would be a sign, reflecting his office as Redeemer and anticipating his role as humanity's heavenly bridegroom. Mary says to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. John chapter 2 verse 5 She recognizes his authority and wisdom. She knows it is his word, not hers, that will bring salvation. The servants are told to fill the jars with water. 
Water is used for cleansing and refreshing. The water speaks of His Word by which we are washed and cleansed. John chapter 15 verse 3, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26. Later in the Gospel of John, we see water as a symbol of His eternal life mediated to us by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7 verses 38 and 39, Jesus is not just a wedding guest. He is the Lord of the wedding, the Lord of the feast, the Lord of life. The servants obey the words of the Lord Jesus and fill the six huge jars to their brims with water. They then obey His command to draw out and bring it to the master of the feast. This is an act that requires that the servants walk by faith and not by sight. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, The master of the feast, the wedding coordinator, tastes what the servants draw out. Unbeknownst to him, the water has become wine, not just good wine, It is better than the fruit of the natural vine. It is from the true vine, Christ. It is the best of the best. The Master's verdict heralds the new covenant of God's grace. And he says, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk it freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. John chapter 2, verse 10. John comments that this was a sign that showed forth the glory of Christ. He turns the water into wine, that which brings joy to God and man. Is your heart satisfied? Has your joy run out? The fruit of the old vine fails. Israel was a false vine. Religion is a false vine. Self-justification is a dead vine. The best that this world offers is not sufficient to bring pleasure to God and true satisfaction to the heart of man. We need Jesus, the Lord of the wedding, the Redeemer, the Heavenly Bridegroom, the true Master of the Feast, the true Vine, to bring salvation. Hear His word and obey, and your water will be turned to a wine that satisfies. Jesus clears the temple in verses 13 through 20. John records the profound prophecy that Jesus makes at the time. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, His hearers think He is referring to Herod's temple, which took 26 years to build. But John explains that Jesus was speaking of his body and predicting his resurrection on the third day after his death by crucifixion. John makes it clear that Jesus' commitment was not to men, but to the Father, for all that he was committed to doing through him for others. The New Living Translation makes it clear, But Jesus did not trust them, those who were beginning to trust him, because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. End quote. John chapter 2, verses 24 to 25. Now let's go to the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms, and we'll be reading Psalm 103, verses 1 through 12. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, 
nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, are the middle verses of the Bible. Did you know that? There are 31,102 verses in the Bible, and since the count is an even number, there is no single middle verse of the Bible. So Psalm 103 verses 1 and 2 are the two middle verses of the Bible, with 15,550 verses before them and 15,550 verses after them. So it is fitting that we have a heart cry in the heart of the Bible. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What a great psalm of praise this is. David gives heartfelt praise for how he has benefited from God's mercies. David sings of all he has received and all that he can look forward to, the forgiveness of all of his sins, the healing of all of his diseases, redemption from death, to be crowned with love and tender mercies. He writes of how the Lord is filling his life with good things, renewing his youth, causing him to soar as an eagle, giving him a right standing with God and justice to all treated unfairly. God treats us as in Christ ones. His compassion takes into consideration our pitiful state in verses 13 through 18. He treats us as a father who tenderly cares for his children from generation to generation. In Christ, we have a greater picture of God's character than that which was given through the law of Moses. He has given us the new covenant. His anger is turned away. We have grace and mercy. Someone has said that grace is getting what we don't deserve and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. This psalm culminates in an exultant chorus of praise. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, you who serve Him, doing His will. Bless the Lord, all you works of His, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 103, verses 19 through 22 in the New American Standard Bible. Now let's read today's Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 17 through 19. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil bow down before the good, 
the wicked at the gates of the righteous. These Proverbs remind us to watch our temper, our gullibility, and persevere in seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Although the Proverbs are maxims pertaining to this life in particular, we can't help but think about the eternal reality in the judgment to come, when the evil will bow down before the good. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for the many demonstrations of your mercy. The greatest display of your mercy is in the gift of your Son and his self-giving sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for all that he has accomplished on our behalf in order that we might have a covenant relationship with you for all eternity. We praise you for our heavenly Bridegroom, and we ask that nothing would impede the ministry of his life in us today. May your Holy Spirit flow through us, empower us, and may your love be seen in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, everybody, for being with us today and for this time of reading through the Scriptures. Hope you can join with us tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. You can also find information about New Life Community Church and its ministries at our website, newlife.org. N-E-W-L-I-F-E dot O-R-G. You can subscribe there to the daily email commentary, and you can also follow the one-year Bible tour guide on Twitter and download wherever you get your podcasts. May the Lord richly bless you this day, and we hope to be with you tomorrow reading through the scriptures. In the meanwhile, peace and joy be yours in abundance.